Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When I was two years old, I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer. I was at that point a seven-generation witch. I was laying there, practically hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk. I couldn't open my eyes. I, I believe my eyes were rolling back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, is there evidence of human sacrifice around there? guys we are here on conspiracy normal and originally was not going to do a show while rob was out of town down at bonnaroo but there is so much going on in the world that i wanted to get two guys that i believe are you know really looking at current events with a real critical eye and that's two people that we've had on before uh one is mr Stephen ogden from Germany, who though now is in Australia at this point. So it's like 
almost 520 in the morning for him tomorrow, the next day. And Mr. John Ward, who we're actually on the same time zone. Gentlemen, welcome back to Conspiranormal. Thank you. Did he just say the F word? I said thank you. I think, I I think said, you said thank you. I did. I did. I did. Must it cut? It cut out just a little bit right when you said that, though. There's Stephen. So yeah, <laughs> it's the Austra- it's the Australian internet. It's impossible. The Australian internet via Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> they actually they actually have the internet down there in Australia. It's not like two Aborigines like uh, striking sticks together or anything like that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. <laughs> what do you actually do in Australia then, Steve? Uh, we actually moved to Australia, uh, because my dad had special, like, the, a special job that he was supposed to do here, and things like that, so we moved to Australia for job and purposes, and I have then moved back to Germany to go to school, because in Australia, you need to pay for school, and before Germany falls to migrants, I thought I would use the free school system there. <laughs> so, so what, what are you? Are you English, or are you German, or are you... Australian? Both. Both. Which, which one? German and English. Is that, is that possible? It is. It is. Don't make... Why would that not be possible? Well, you know, he's a crowd, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, don't English don't English people uh, come from Germans ultimately? No, we come from the Swedish. But you know, th- from the Swedish. Just saying, I don't. I don't. Well, but the Anglo-Saxons isn't that Northern Germany? I don't want to bring up the war, but you know, we have. I wasn't even going to bring up the war, John. Wasn't, uh, wasn't the royal uh, family actually from Germany a long time ago? Not that long ago. Yes, the Victorian side was a little bit German. A little bit German. The old A hand- little bit German. Saxon Corbord Gorka, right? <laughs> I think that was a bit more than a little bit German, mate. <laughs> well, I, think th- I think they changed that to Windsor in 1917, right, John? Exactly. It sounds a bit German. It's a bit like a German sausage, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I I would actually like to spend the next hour and a half actually just taking the piss out of Stephen, but um. <laughs> <more> Hello. <laughs> well, originally, John, you know, I had spoken to you at Paradise Symposium, and we really wanted to try to do something about the exit of the or potential exit of the UK out of the European Union, the uh, Brexit, as it's been called, and I believe that vote is coming up here. In a couple of weeks, I believe. And I do want to talk about that, but there's been so much that has gone on in just the course of this whole month. I mean, it's uh, June 13th right now, and that was about a month, Paradise Posium was about a month ago. So in that course of that month, things just, there's been so much that has gone on. And I think really what I want to hit on first is what has gone on here in the United States, because we were going to talk about Europe primarily in that area. But I think we would be remiss to not talk about what's going on in Orlando uh, in the last couple of days. John, I want to get your thoughts on that first. Well, first and foremost, my uh, I want to send out our condolences to right. everybody concerned, families, victims, the, the, even the people of Orlando and the people of America. Um, even though it's, it's not even, let, let's be honest, it's not even a nationalized thing. This is, this is a global event. Um, sure. when, when you have somebody, a lone gunman like that who goes into a place where people are entertained, they're enjoying, they're having fun, 
and somebody just shoots indiscriminately, you, you can't help but not be shocked by the event. Um, when the dust settles somewhat in the coming hours, one then starts to look at why, who, when, etc. And what amazes me, and it still does, and I tried to make a post actually just prior to the show to the Situation Room, um, because we're going to do the Situation Room later, and I wanted to make a post on that, that the, 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 the difference, and Steve, you'll probably be able to answer this as well. You're probably keeping a very good eye on this as well as I am. The, yes, I am. The difference in news outlets from Europe with, compared to that of the America, right. how they cover the story, the political correctness is just absurd. Um, yep. I'm looking, I just literally, and what I'm referring to is the latest report that's just come out from the AP news agency based in America. Now, as everybody knows, there's AP offices all over the world in most countries. Uh, now, the AP office in, in America is, that's dealing with the, uh, the Orlando shootings has come out with a, a subtitle, Possibly Homegrown. Mm-hmm. And I'm just. There's nothing possibly. Well, I mean. Exactly. And I'm just. About it. I'm just wrapping my head around this. And if you actually have time, do go to the AP news site. Um, you make sure you go to the American one and have a look at that particular article that has the possibly homegrown in the title. Because in there, you'll find a video attached to it. And it's of the president of the American Islamic Association. And he's there saying, what a sad day it is. But then he changes and gets all political and just continues to go on and on and on about mass shootings in America and that it's about time they came to an end. Now, even the article pertains to that in some retrospect. Now, again, as I've discussed many times in other radio shows, including Trepid and Situation Room with Rocky and Scotty and the rest of the guys, you know, I find the gun laws in America somewhat, mm, okay, yeah, there, there, are, there are some holes in it that need to be plugged, certainly, and that's for sure. Um, but this isn't a time to be using this as leverage against the, the amendment. This, is, right. this isn't a time to start using this as a, as a way in which we can start taking automatic rifles off people. This is... Well, it- it seems like every single time that something like this happens, John, you know, we we get this rhetoric about gun control every single time. And whether that's a knee-jerk reaction by the government or whether that is something that is, you know, n- the mentality of never let a good uh, crisis go to waste. Well, I think it's the mentality of the liberals, politicians, myself, um, and the liberals that are out there. And as I say, I and I want to point this out, I, I agree with them, actually, to a point, to a point. But what really infuriates me is the complete and total way in which they've whitewashed who the perpetrator was. Yeah. And why he did what he did. Yeah. You know, we are talking about a radical Muslim. End of story. We are. I don't care how you wash it. I don't care how politically incorrect you could be. I myself have got, as you all know, you know, I work and live in Egypt. I've got more Muslim friends than I have. Christian friends, for instance, if you want to bring religion into it. And I have a lot of time for them. I have a lot of time for them. I even call a lot of them my brothers and so forth. So the total respect there. But this guy 
is part of that bunch in the barrel of rotten apples that somewhere, and, and I, I just can't get my head around it, why politicians and the people who are at the forefront of media are not using the correct terminology. What, and hey, this guy was proud of it. He was, he was proud of he it. He was proud of it. Um, this guy went in with all intent. There was no, he didn't turn up to go and have a beer and have a dance. He went there with intent to kill. End story. He had a purpose. He went. He did it. He got killed. But please, 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 say it how it is. Right. Whitewash it. You know, this guy rang 911, pledged allegiance to ISIS. <laughs> it, it, it just infuriates me that the politicians hide behind everything else while not actually tackling the problem yeah. at hand. Um, As we've been told, John, that he, that I mean, that seems a little strange to me that the guy would call 911. I mean, that just, that is very weird. Well, I mean, not really. I mean, you think, put yourself into his shoes if you, if you want to, if you must. Um, you want it to be known that you are doing this as part of some religious belief. And you want that to be known because you know you're going to die. So where's the best place to call? You're not going to call a local McDonald's, are you? Not going to... Well, I guess because it would be recorded. I guess I could see what you're saying there. Yeah. Call 911. You tell them who you are, what you're doing, and why. And... But let's hear the recording. We should hear the recording. We should. Yeah. Do you have it? No. Well, why'd you say that? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think anyone has heard it, John. Stephen, look me in the eye. <laughs> I've, I've, I don't think any. I don't think anyone has heard that recording. I mean, it's not been. I don't think it's been been thrown out there to the to the public yet. Now, now you've heard my my diluted version. Now let's hear Stevens. Yeah, I want to get your get your thoughts on it, Stephen. Well, what are you hearing down there in Australia? In Australia, honestly, not much at all. Just everyone having a good cry, you know, as liberal Australia, but um. I'm more into German news anyway, and why John has been explaining some stuff to us. Um, I've been having a bit of a scroll around the German news media and what they are all about at the moment. Well, I'm on the Bildzeit Zeitung. John will know it. He yeah. may have heard of it. Yeah. I have to scroll all the way down to the page to read anything about Orlando. That a TV, okay. that a TV has imploded and a, uh, a girl has died is bigger news than that. And above all else, of course, it's the Euro Cup in the main news. I have to scroll all the way down to find anything about Orlando. And the first thing I see about Orlando, it's Hillary against Trump. That is the first thing I see. It's already, it's not about the Muslim anymore. It's not about the attack. It's not about the dead people. It's not about that they were gay. It's Trump be Hillary, and Hillary is the liberal who wants to take away the guns and who wants to protect everyone, and Trump is the mean person on the internet and social media who is using this to prove a point. And this is on German television, German social media, on German newspapers. Okay, like Bild is the biggest newspaper in Germany. Yeah, but you know, biggest newspaper in Germany. Well, you know, it's Germany, isn't it? Yeah, it's Germany, but Germany also controls the Eurozone, doesn't it? Far less. <laughs> yeah, well, you, we, like, we, we got this competition here going on. I mean, that's why we're because, you know, your, your Christian liberal, Christian up whatever party is, is really, you know, let, let's, let's be fair, you know, 
Europe is. I I, I don't support Ang- Angela Merkel, mate. I don't support. The, uh, no, no, he, he doesn't. He the doesn't. Christian Democratic Union because they're not democratic and they're not Christian. Just, and if they were, and if they were bloody Christians, they wouldn't be letting all these invaders in. No, no swearing, no swearing. You can't say the B word. I can't. I can't on here. I can't on here. I've done before. I'm you alright. Can't do that, or we'll come over and invade you again. <laughs> lose more land, and we give it to the Russians. Okay. <laughs> I want to. I want to point this out, and this is a little strange, guys. That um, two days before, literally two days before. It may have even been the day before. Uh, you had this uh, girl, the singer, that was killed in Orlando. Uh, the guy snuck into, well, he didn't sneak in. He went through security into this uh, concert hall, and he had two guns on him. He had extra magazines with him and a knife. He shot this, this singer. Uh, the brother tackled him, and then he uh, shot himself. And with that much, with what he had with him, it seems like there was more of an intention than just to kill himself and the singer. He's probably going to try to take out other people as well. And then the next day, virtually almost, I think the next day, this happens in Orlando. And that's very strange. Didn't you have a a gentleman arrested in Indiana as well who was carrying rifles, ammunition, uh, Los Angeles, I believe that there was at the gay pride yeah, parade, I there was somebody that, was that had ammunition in the, in the car. Yeah, that was, that was strange as well. But I'm talking about in the same city. Yeah, but we've, we've, two days apart from each other that this kind of stuff happens. I mean, that's very odd. Well, it's not odd. I mean, I mean, let's, let's put this into perspective. Well, it is Florida. Yeah, well, that's one thing. But look at the size of America. Um, I mean, you can have simultaneously mass shootings happening in any other state anywhere in America. Sure, John, but I'm talking about the same city. Yeah, but it's... it's the same town. She just happened to be... Where if she was in, say, California then, and not Florida, would you be would you be making the same kind of uh, relationship? No, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. But 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 it's it's odd that it's this... It's very strange that it's the same place I t- a, day, a day apart from each other. If you can, why don't you bring up the police records for Florida for the last five days and find out how many people have been shot dead in Florida in the last five days. Yeah. I think you'll be absolutely amazed by the statistics. Yeah. Uh, well, it's true. I mean, Florida is usually known for some pretty bizarre stuff going on. And Orlando, in and of itself, has a lot of interesting things happening mm. uh, there as well. Uh, I won't really get into that kind of thing but any other thoughts about this guys about this about this shooting I, that occurred i think there's gonna be a knee-jerk reaction politically speaking with gun uh, control uh, john i did want to ask you about this yeah uh he has been said to have been a an employee the shooter G- uh in the gay nightclub of gs4 security is that the same security people that you've been talking about with scotty and rocky it is indeed g4s oh, group, God. wow group four oh, security God. He was a he was a an employee from 2007 right through to I think it was 2012. He got his gun license in 2011, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, G4S Group Four Secure Call is at the forefront of some of my major research at the moment. These guys, as I've said many times before, are the largest standing armed stroke unarmed civilian army in the world at present. They are in charge of our airports, our ports, 
transportation links, border control. They are indirectly related to Frontex, which is the company uh, created by the European Union that deals with the immigration of the, the the mass immigration of northern africa into europe through greece and through turkey um turkey by the way just put a, a shout out there for the turks go turks you know stephen go turks yes yes stephen and we need that history. and um aren't you turkish stephen oh yeah we need to hashtag ottoman honestly <laughs> hashtag ottoman empire Bring it up. Bring it up. Let Erdogan invade bloody Greece. So, go on. Go on. <laughs> hey, man, do... I'm, I'm half Greek. I don't think I like that. Oh, man. My, my, You're my... Half... half Greek? Oh, you must, you, yeah. you must be Gregucci then. <laughs> I knew something about you. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know how to make goat cheese, even if I tried. But John, this, yeah, that was uh, when I heard that about the security. That was the first thing that I thought of was you talking about the security. I just couldn't remember if that was exactly the same one. And, so that's a very strange connection too. Well, it, it's not just a, a strange connection because I mean, at the end of the day, they they employ millions of people uh, glo- yeah. globally, and uh, there had to come a time when one of them who was probably trained, I mean, this is probably where he received his training from. Very true. You've got, so now you've got a trained civilian who has taken that training and applied it to a terrorist action. He now, must have been trained. If you look at other acts like this with a gunman, right, just going into a bar or something, the the rate of casualties is never this high. I oh, mean, he, he oh, yeah. there was no way. This is fifty plus. Pe- this is fifty yep. people that were killed and yep. more wounded. But don't forget, you know, he was in a very small confined room, and one of the eyewitnesses said he was like a marine wielding an automatic weapon. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was calm and counter. Yeah, exactly. Very just calm. because. Yeah. He was going for for headshots, top top chest shots as well. Uh, he wasn't aiming for the legs or or the stomach area. He was aiming for high high velocity shots at uh, basically death kills. And he knew exactly yep. what he was doing. Did you know his father actually ran for president of Afghanistan? I did indeed. Yeah. It, it, again, you know, it... it, it the, but he said he's... I'm a little confused because he said he was Pakistani. Well, that's it. They say he's Pakistani, but he ran for president for Afghanistan. So, but, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens now. We'll see what, what else comes yeah. out in the coming days. Um, I'm sure there'll be a, a whole host of information that will come out on him. Yeah, hopefully so. We 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 can find out. Or, you know, it, you're you're totally right, John, that we and, and Stephen that we have this. Uh, this is very similar to what happened in Chattanooga back in July. Yeah. Uh, that that's my hometown, actually, and that was. Um, the same kind of thing. I mean, not really looking at the how this guy was radicalized. Uh, this, I mean, this guy that had lived all of his life in the United States was an American citizen. How he was radicalized, it was more of just like, well, we need better gun control. That's what it became. And one thing I want to add, too, is as far as like Trump's stuff about not letting Muslims into the United States, well, what about people that are like the the San Bernardino shooter and the Chattanooga shooter and this guy in Orlando? I mean, these guys are American citizens. Yeah, but just because of that, and this is the. 
but they were already here. I'm going to be res- I, I'm going to be a little bit disrespectful, but I want to say it in a respectful manner. There is a very blatant eye opener for the naivety that is rampant in this country, and there is. I, I found that having lived here now for a couple of months, sure. I'm coming round to that. There's a lot of naivety, as if it's not going to happen on our turf. We deal with our own stuff. Um, if he's a homegrown terrorist, then we will deal with it. it. I think Trump came out with a one of the most sensible retractions today, and that was that he's retracted his earlier statement about stopping all Muslims from coming into the country. And he's come out with a very, very sensible uh, statement, which will will do him stead in the long run. Not that I condone it, and I, I'm I'm not a Trump supporter, by the way, just just for the record there. Um, but he came out and said that what we should be looking at is to stem the tide of immigration from countries that are associated with terrorism. Full stop. He didn't mention Islam. He didn't mention Muslims. He didn't mention any country specifically. He just said we should stem the tide of immigrants from countries associated with terrorism. Again, this guy, as you quite rightly said, Adam, is homegrown. But he is what he is. And that is something that is, is the problem. And it's not just America. This is a global problem is the the lack of integration within communities between different faiths. Now, I'm not a religious person, but that doesn't stop me from having friends who are Jewish, who are Christian, Muslim, Buddhists, Hindus, Sikhs, so forth. Um, I integrate with all of them. I'm able to have conversations with all of them. I'm able to have a drink with all of them. Um, even the Muslims, you know, they, they drink, they do drink, you know, it is halal, but they do drink. Yeah. And I have some very good friends, which, which I'm able to integrate with. But when it comes down to our, our, our cities, our towns, that's where it stops. The integration doesn't take place in the town. It takes place on an individual basis. And there lays our problem. And now I'm not an advocate of multiculturalism, but there has to be some time we're going to have to put ourselves in a position where we put our hands in the air, face the mirror, and say, we are to blame here. Someone's got to take responsibility. There's no point in going around anymore shouting out abuse towards different faiths and different religions and so forth and different communities. It's about time we got up globally and said, okay, how are we going to tackle this? What is the solution? What is the solution? If you want to destroy the West, what do you want to replace it with? Why is no one opening a dialogue? Why, you know, we're five years into the, the, um, the civil war. So, <laughs> civil war in Syria. And yet no one has approached ISIS and said, okay, guys, what's it going to take? If we can, if we can, if we can build bridges with the IRA and now look at Sinn Fein and look at Jerry Adams, who's actually now in charge, he is a public politician. If we can do that with the IRA, why can no one sit down with ISIS and say, look guys, what is it going to take? What is it you want? If it, you want your caliphate, can we just build a wall around it and say, there you go, it's all yours? 
I think ISIS is a different level, to be honest. But what? ISIS, ISIS is not the IRA. No, it's not, Steve, and that's quite right, but I'm using it as a comparison as to what is it going to take? How long will we continue to fight an aggressor that has no dominion? Uh, that, that, that is the problem with the war we've been having for we, a long time, no. for 14 years now, for 15 years. We haven't had a war. Against the terrorists, well, officially, according to, to America, we've had it, yeah. Well, we haven't. I, I totally disagree. What we've had is we've had invasions into into countries which we had no business invading. And That's what, true. I'll agree with that, John. That, yeah. ha- that, is, I agree. that is not the reason why we have terrorism today. I'm sorry. That's a load of BS. I will not advocate that with the conspiracy theorists. We invaded these countries. Yes, we, we kicked the hell out of them. Yes, we did. We've stolen their oil. Yes, we have. We've stolen their minerals. Yes, we have. We've employed them and we've given them McDonald's in return. Yes, we have. But ISIS is a fundamental religious terrorist organization. And they're not just confined to Syria. They're not just confined to Iraq or Afghanistan or Libya. They're not confined to Sudan. They're not confined to Somalia. Eritrea, or any other country you wish or care to mention within the Middle East, or Northern Africa, or America, or Europe for that matter. They are bloody well everywhere. Even Australia. Yeah, it's true. You've got individuals who will pledge allegiance to ISIS because it is a fundamental terrorist organization, but at its heart, it is a fundamentalist religious organization. And I ask the question again, when will people or when will a government or some kind of representative that is in the spotlight stand up and ask them, what is it you want? You can't just kick ass continually without actually trying to figure out what ass you're going to go and kick. Uh, do you think that that would work, John? Do you think that just us going over there and say, okay, what do you want? I mean, don't we know? essentially what they want to do do you well i mean i pride myself unfortunately what i've been told is what they is what they want i mean it's obvious that they want that like you said they want that caliphate yeah but so I mean, should we give it to them i i consider myself a, a pretty well educated person i consider myself a very well informed person i one could call me a troll of the media and but i not confine myself to just the internet. I, I, I'm all over the place, purely because that's what I do uh, on the side. And I have yet to understand what it is they want. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 and I mean, how far do we take that? I mean, do we give them, do we give them their caliphate? I, I mean, I have very little patience with the whole idea of everybody's everybody's Hitler, and they want they they you if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. But but where do we stop, Adam? When you say, "Shall we give it to them?" Have you ever been to Syria? <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure it's it's a lot of desert. I mean, we're talking about a bunch of goat herders running around in black smocks <laughs> with AK-47s that are more equipped, more battle-hardened, and more organized than the British bloody army. 
and we cannot fight them on their ground. We learned that lesson time and time and time again. You cannot fight an indigenous population in their own ground. It's a non-starter. It's a non-winnable solution. Americans learned it in Vietnam, Russians learned it in Afghanistan, and the Americans learned it in Iraq and in Afghanistan again. So. And now we're on the, on the cusp of doing it again in Syria. Yeah. Now, I go back to my original statement. You kill half a million of them in Syria, you've got another four to five million of to kill of them that are spread across the planet. So what are you going to do? I mean, it sounds like... What would you suggest to do? Because as he, the explanation you've given is right, okay? I have to agree with, with a lot that you've said. I have to, but we're just going to be... We're just a wee, uh, the hamster in the wheel. We're just going around in circles and not actually getting into any destination. Good analogy. Steve, I think you remember, and sorry to bring this up, Adam, on your show, but I remember saying on the Situation Room at least two years ago... I wasn't listening then. Well, sorry. I believe if we, we if we went back in the records, we would find this out. I stated two years ago that we, what should happen is they should be given the caliphate. This is a non-winnable solution. We cannot win this with bombs and bullets. This can only be won through diplomacy. And I'm afraid to say it. I'm afraid to say it. But that is the solution at this present moment. Because nothing else is working, because what we're doing at this present moment is antagonizing and creating a whole brigade, a whole platoon, a whole country's worth of ISIS supporters globally by continuing our aggressive, political, diplomatic battleground tactics. And John, we know we may eventually have to do that because, you know, we may have to do that anyway because we cannot continue to be, the United States cannot continue to be the policeman of the world. We cannot, you know, eventually, you know, empires run their course and it, it, it becomes cost prohibitive to even protect everybody. Well, what we're, what we're doing now, and Steve, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this and I'm sure you will do Adam as well is that we're no longer fighting a battle. What we're doing is we're putting machinery into place in readiness for their next step. So instead of actually preventing it, what we're doing is we are creating scenarios to deal with the crisis or the aftermath of what will take place. I prefer a very good article came out today that NATO have... Uh, gone out and said they're going to uh, base another four battalions, I believe, in the Eastern Bloc, or the Eastern countries, I should say, sorry, Steve, yeah. um, and will amount to 4,000 troops on a rotational basis. Now, yeah, one nothing. nothing. It, it's, it's nothing. It, it, it's, it's, it's a pin drop. But you think about 4,000 ready-armed, ready-trained, ready-to-go, hardcore Marines. Just think of that. Just sitting there. Wait. Well, it's not. It's not all Marines. There's also French in there, you know. No, I know that. I'm just using that as a, as. An... <laughs> um, what I'm trying to say is that what we're trying to do is we're moving our pieces around the chessboard in readiness, and they said it's in case of Russia. It's not in case of Russia. This is a planned. This is re in readiness for Northern Africa exploding across the Mediterranean. Hmm. 
They know it's going to happen. They know that Turkey, and Steve's going to start jumping up and going, yay, he's getting onto the Turkey subject. We know that Turkey is going to explode. We know that the Turks are... One has to be politically correct in saying this, because one has to be. But there are signs within the Turkish government that they do have designs to reinstate the Ottoman Empire. Which went from Neo Ottomanism. Yeah. Which yeah. went from the, the Turkish side where they are now all down to into Arabia, didn't it? It did indeed. And it, they tried to get into Europe to a point they succeeded, really, actually, economically and diplomatically they succeeded. Economically, yeah. Um you know, so we're we're preparing for that. And it just amazes me that we're preparing instead of actually persuading them or sitting down and saying, look guys, we know what your designs are. It's fruitless. Forget it. Be content. Well, Here's your European passport. Get on with it. Oh no, don't give them an EU passport. I live there. No, I, 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 I'm actually totally against it, but we're going to leave you anything to eat. Yeah. So you, you know what, let's, let's segue into that with Turkey. Because as you like to say, John, and we'll do the segue here. Uh, it, oh, yeah. Interesting. I had this like further down the list, but you know, since we're talking about it, you've got this situation in Turkey. You've got the where he's pretty much got all these uh, refugees that he's holding back, and we're talking about Erdogan, the president. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Stephen has been on the show before, kind of giving us an update on what's going on there. You had the whole situation with the comedian making fun of Erdogan that uh, he said that. Uh, they basically like this guy basically is in hiding now because the the Turks are after him, and then, in my opinion, the Germans did something that I thought was exceedingly ill-timed and exceedingly stupid, and that was recognizing the Armenian genocide as being the fault of the Turks. That was absolutely pivotal, and it was gorgeous. And why did they do that? Its though? timing was perfect. Because that doesn't doesn't that make the situation worse, Stephen? This is to you. Well, doesn't that make the situation worse from what you described to me? Well, the thing is, the thing with Erdogan, he's a strong man. You do not go after a strong man with kind words. You go after him with strong words. And Germany sent a strong message. It's also nice. That Germany is now not the only one in that former alliance of the First World War, or the Second World War, and to be known for genocide. You know what I mean? So that's also nice. And the thing is, everyone's always going, I'm sorry, I have to say it, Nazis, Germans, Jews, Auschwitz, all that kind of stuff. And everyone else is just, they're just, they're just home free. And the Turks, I, I, I don't get it. The Turks, they, exploded when Germany decided that. Even though Germany just stated, well, it's a historical fact. You killed up to how many did you kill? 1.8 million Armenians? Yeah, it was something about like that, yeah. Yeah, you killed that many. It's it's a historical fact. Everyone who was there, you know, I the statement of people that were there, they all say the same thing. And I, I don't get why Erdogan exploded. I get he has to be strong. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> that's just the person he is. You know, he rules. Because he actually rules, you could say that. Almost like an iron fist of sorts. Yeah. That's just how he is. And if he hadn't have 
responded, the way he responded, the the forces into in the Turkish area would have destroyed him, I think, because well, what, how did he respond? Well, he responded by by uh, condemning Germany, and he wants to now start actually to sanction Germany. That is his goal to sanction Germany in any way he can until uh, he actually uh, until uh, we withdraw these statements. The, the, prob- the problem is that Turkey are actually holding Europe blackmail at the moment. And yes, be- they are. And yes. because old, old Merkel's put herself in a position where she's kind of says that she's leading the EU fight against uh, migration and immigration. Unfortunately, Turkey has us by the balls. Um, because yeah. they they've got four point whatever it was million immigrants uh, from the Syrian crisis just sat in Turkey ready to cross the border into Europe. If Turkey yeah. wants to, and this this uh, this is part and parcel of of the whole frightening scale. Can you imagine if Turkey was to turn around to its Syrian refugee population and say, "Okay, guys." We're going to do this. We're going to we're going to give you Turkish citizenship, and with this Turkish citizenship comes benefits, etc., etc., etc. But what we're going to do is we're going to open the border at the same time, and you're free to go. Yeah. You can go across Europe as as fast as you like. We're just going to open the borders. Well, how do you think Greece or the Balkans are going to react to that? Hence the reason why we've started by putting 4,000 troops. There's not 4,000 troops. I would like probably say there's more, more likely 10,000 troops set already in the Balkans ready to deal with this. And what countries are they in, John? Well, I, I think you'll find that the whole of the Yugos, the, the old former Yugoslav is, okay. is full, is full to capacity yeah. UMP. By the Black Sea, by the Black Sea, ready, because and, that is where they will land. And, you know, Russia is, will be, will, become our ally in this because they know that's why they're there that's why they're in Syria they're not in Syria because of its mineral or its oil reserves or because Putin is very pally with Assad it's got nothing to do with that it's got to do with the fact that Putin realizes and so does the Kremlin realize that out of Syria will pour more refugees and Afghanistan and Iraq and Northern Africa they will use as I've said many many times that exit door will open and the floodgates and it's Turkey and they will just literally stream across and no one will be able to stem it. Yeah. We'll talk about a WMD. That is a WMD. Unless you you stop shooting. And people, you know, the liberals, they're not going to stand for that. And nor is anybody, let's be honest, you're not going to start shooting at immigrants uh, who are homeless and and travel from a war-torn country. But Half of them are not. Half of them are economic migrants. More than half. Like, more yeah, like 80%. You, more like 80%. Yeah. Because you've got like a country like Eritrea, which is a, a incredibly repressive regime, not in the middle of a war or anything, but people are leaving that country because it's it's so repressive, and also there's no economic opportunities for them there. Yeah. Okay. Let's put this into perspective, shall we? Have you ever been to Eritrea? No, John, I've never been to Eritrea. Beautiful <laughs> country. Yes, it has a repressive regime. Yes, it's a dictatorship. Yes, it doesn't have the employment or the lifestyle that one is afforded when one is in a country like America, for instance, like I am now at the moment in Stillwater. 
I've got everything around me. I've got no wants or desires. It's at my doorstep. You don't have that material. No, you don't. But if, if you want that, then move, by all means, move, migrate to a place. But come with a set of skills. Don't come expecting to be given a handout and be expected to be given this, that, and the other without actually contributing. And I, yeah. and I don't get it. I, I, I really, I don't get it. I mean, I was in the revolution. Well, it seems like a, it seems like an act of desperation, right? Well, it's not. I, I, the I, thing, the thing is, the thing is, Adam, right? The thing that you need to understand is these people. They go to, let's say, Germany or France or wherever. They get all these benefits, and they send all the money home, and then they could commit crimes and to support themselves. Not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. I think we, I think we're getting to a point, unfortunately, where again it's like that naivety that I brought up earlier about the Florida shooting. Um, we're getting to a point where we only want to say or want to believe or want to hear what we want to hear when it comes to the migrant crisis. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, you're true. And and this is a problem. And and Steve, you know this far better than I do. Look at Germany in the early 30s. You know, it only takes a few spokespersons to really raise their head above, above the pulpit and start speaking the rhetoric that everybody else is thinking, but no one dares say, that it rallies the cause. And yeah, just look at Trump. Just look know, at Trump today. I, when I was in the Germany, when I was in Germany and in Poland with my father in the, in the late 70s, I remember dad taking me to some of the concentration camps. And I remember yeah. in, we, we had friends in Germany at the time we, and friends in Austria and so forth, and we were there. And I remember them saying, I can remember it plain as day, I wasn't a Nazi. I'm sorry, what, what were you then? <laughs> yeah. Because I, uh, that's like my grandfather turned around and said, no, I wasn't in the war. <laughs> sorry. Well, no, what? the thing, oh, God, oh, God. Okay, right. We're Every... going to get to a point where history really, really history looks back at this point and that generation in, in 20, 30 years time is going to point the finger at us and say, what the hell were you thinking? Why, oh why, didn't you stand up and do something? We said exactly the same thing with the Nuremberg rallies. Well, I've told Stephen this before, and I think I've mentioned this to you, John, uh, that I, I feel like there's an equivalent that's going on in, in the United States right now of Weimar Germany. And, I, and not necessarily in an economic realm, even though our economy isn't totally great, but we seem to have this real dichotomy between left and right. And now we really have this, we really have a huge dichotomy when we have the people fighting, basically fighting in the streets right now. I mean, that's what's going on, essentially. You have the extreme left and you have the extreme right fighting each other. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, we've, we've discussed this again. I mean, I know we're going down rabbit, rabbit holes here. Um, but the United States of America removed and, and erased the piece, the word united. It's just the States of America. Um, there's nothing united about it anymore. It, yeah. um, you know, it's slowly. Good point, John. That has slowly been eroded. Now, I'm as patriotic to Britain as anyone could possibly be, 
But when I moved here, the first thing I've done, and Rocky and Scotty have seen this, I've, I've raised the American flag outside the house. Because... one on Facebook. <laughs> you know, I feel a little bit patriotic, I will be honest. Even though I'm not an American, I feel patriotic towards the country. It's a great nation. It has a, it has everything you could actually possibly want and desire to get on in life. It has all the tools in the toolbox. All you've got to do is open the bloody thing and get off your lazy fat ass and actually take the tools out and create a worthy life of yourself. However, there are also tools in that box which if you open it, you don't need to touch them, you just apply for them and then you don't actually need to touch the rest of the toolbox for the rest of your life. And you can just sit back and do nothing. To me, that that's not contributing to civilization. That's not contributing to mankind. That's not even, even leaving a legacy. Uh, that's just giving up. You know, you might as well just tie a brick around your neck and jump off the nearest bridge into a very deep pile of water. John, excuse me, the, excuse me the for one sec. I have to get going in a minute. And uh, before I do, I'd just like to actually say that the situation we have now in America, in Germany, and all in the West is degeneration. That is what I think is the main issue that we have. People no longer want to achieve anything. They want to sit at home. They want to get the finger in the behind of the state, get everything paid for all the time. And people, but as you said, they're on the streets, they're fighting. About what? In France, they're fighting because of bloody scores for football games. And then there's, you know, I look on the news and in Syria there's been a bombing with 80 dead or in Iraq because I don't look, I don't have to look that up. It happens every day. And then I read that the fighting in Marseille over football and I can get, I can get football. I can jump up at a good goal at, and with any of them. But the problem we have is degeneration. And before we actually regenerate, the people of the West to actually be behind their own like the country to actually achieve stuff, to want to achieve we're not going to get anywhere we're not going to get anywhere with as an example China or Russia because they want all these things that we have and we have them and we don't see what we've got you, and then, right. and then you've, right. you've just made a very similar speech to a very famous man who ended up dying but was the creation of the First World War, the Archduke Ferdinand. And if you do your history on that, Steve, what you just said is exactly what was happening in Britain and in Europe back in the early part of the 19, uh, 20th century, sorry, and again during the 1930s. This is just history repeating itself. It Pe- is. People, it's not... Re- it's, I, I, not that I want to argue with you, your wording, because I think it's very apt, Um but people have become lethargic. People they have, have fat, lazy. Yes, and and they, yeah. it's because we have created a welfare state, a welfare global state that allows people to do that. We have eroded all of our industry and given it to Asia. We have eroded everything that was good about our sovereign countries. And I'm, I say countries because it is plural. And we've given it away. We no longer have that fight in us. And, uh, you know, with Brexit coming, you've see, you, you, you're getting a glimpse of it again in the yep. UK. And, you know, I know we laugh about it, being the colonialist and so forth and the empire. 
But, you know, I am. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the Commonwealth. I'm very proud of Great Britain. And we're seeing a glimpse of that fight for the sovereignty once again. Well, John, you've made this point about the United States. I've heard you make it before. Uh, You were talking about uh, immigration here and uh, about the the illegals coming over the border. And uh, the the truth is, I, I have to agree with you, because you do have a lot of people in this country that just do not want to work. They don't want to, to do the jobs that, and it sounds, sounds so cliche, but they don't want to do the jobs that a lot of the Mexicans are coming over here to do. No, I mean, do you want yeah. to go clean toilets? In Mac- no. Do I want to do roofing? I mean, I was in a neighborhood the other day and I look over, I look up and there's all Mexicans, you know, doing roofing and it's 90 something degrees outside. I mean, it, it, you know, that's one to a tarmac for $12 an hour. Right. No, you know, you don't. And, and that's the thing, but we've always had that. It's not a new thing. You know, we've had migration, economic migration. Yeah to fill parts of our workforce where we do not wish to do the job. Before migration, before the before transportation allowed us to have mass migration, we had a class system. And the working class did the working class jobs. And and I don't care how unpolitically correct or incorrect I am at this present moment. Prior to them well, you're right. I mean, it's just an historical fact. We had the slave system. We employed, not employed, we had, we owned slaves that did the jobs that we did not want to do. Prior to the slaves, we had the serfs, which was a repetition again, of the working class. But it's lower than that. It's the peasants. It's the people who have absolutely no self-worth at all. And that, Rick, that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, John. Like, I actually really have to go. I need to get to work. Before you go, before you go, okay. before you go yeah. I just handed yeah. a note by my darling Maria. There's a hostage situation taking place right now as we've been on air in Paris and one policeman has been stabbed to death. Oh no, God, in Paris Steven? again. Live yeah. now. Again, again. That's- Stephen, real quick, you're coming out with a podcast soon. Tell us about everybody what you're thinking right now. Well, I've got a name in my head. I won't be releasing that right now, but um, I think I will start my own uh, podcast. uh, A type of the... uh, A bit of... There will be German in it, I have to admit, because that's just me. You know, there will be order and chaos. (laughs) Let's just leave it like that, but... uh, That makes sense. I will will be... uh, Yeah, John, you laugh. But I will be on the side of news events, things that are happening from internet and to write on the street and uh, I will be getting uh, as many views as I can and presenting them as I can to let people make up their own mind and also inject my own thoughts on the matter. Excellent, Stephen. Best of luck to you, sir. And you two have fun. It sounds like getting right into it. And John, John, you just said uh, the slaves that we had before and the working class and the serfs. We need to watch it, mate, that we don't become the new slaves. Oh, we yeah, I agree. never will be, sir. Never will be. I'm British. Never will be. We'll but... defend the island, eh? <laughs> You're German, so I'd watch out. But then again, you are from Bolton, so we actually classify <laughs> being a serf already. 
<laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Industry and all that. Just, you know what I mean, Chuck? Yeah, yeah. All right, Stephen, thank you so much. Sorry you couldn't stay with us. but uh, I'm sorry, I, I have to go. I've got people the hands in the earth, mate, already, so I actually have to go. You go. Uh, no problem. Go have fun with your didgeridoo. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll talk to you soon, sir. We'll talk soon, and John, I'll be on the radio later having a listen. So, you know, and continue this if you might. Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay. See ya, bye. Bye. All right, John. Wait, wait, wait. Still, you still with me? Uh, we were talking about immigration. Uh, I want to point out that uh, my uh, my wife is an immigrant. Uh, she's from Brazil, and you know she definitely does jobs that Americans are not going to do because she cleans apartments, she cleans houses, and that's just what she does. And she has a a workforce that is primarily uh, from other countries. Yeah, and I mean that's uh, so. So just my viewpoint on you see what you've just done illegal immigration, but you see quote to quote is is a little different from a lot of other people. And, and you see, this is where I have a problem because, as I said earlier to Steve and yourself, we, we're getting to a point where we become very easy to slip into labels. And we slip yeah. into a rhetoric where we want to condone or literally take out and hang feather and tar the illegal immigration problem. And what's behind it is something that we need to look at. We need to look at our workforce. We need to look at our industry. We need to look at the way in which our economy is now driven. Are we so wrapped up in consumerism and materialism that we've lost sight of what is the worth behind buying something locally that has been made by hand. Um, do we, I, I go into Walmart quite often here only because it, it's a good form of entertainment instead of putting the television on. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, oh, seriously, I mean, Walmart, I mean, that, 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 that Every every town should happen. I think they do, and I think it is a form of entertainment. Um, it, it's quite funny. Um, but I go in there, and the amount of produce, the amount of consumerism that takes place under that roof, is beyond belief. I, you know, you've got to remember, I've been in Egypt for fifteen years, where I have the choice of one greengrocer. If I don't like the oranges that are on his stall, it's hard luck, John. There isn't anything else other than getting off your ass and going into the fields and picking the oranges myself from... Right. There's nothing to choose from. No. Yet, I can go to Walmart, and I will use oranges as an example. I can choose from probably five, if not more, different kinds of oranges. If I wanted a cereal... My God, I have an entire aisle full of cereals from anything from chocolate through to banana and even probably, if I look for it, cardboard flavor. Um, it's just obscene. And it is obscene because we've replaced so much... Oh, I don't even know how to put it into words, really. We've replaced the ability to have choice. And it is choice, 
and I mean that in a kind of juxtaposition, really, because you go in and you're you're confronted by all of this, and you think, oh well, I, I had my Cheerios this week. I quite like Cheerios. I'm a Cheerio fan, so I'm going to have Cheerios. W- what happened to just you know baking bread in the morning? Yeah. What what happened to you know making a piece of toast? What about what, what about sitting down with the family and and creating breakfast? What, what happened to that? And uh, there are there's a there are so many different avenues to go down, which we, which are part and parcel of this immigration problem, that we are blinded by it. We don't look at them, we we ignore it, and we blame it instead on the actual immigration itself. And we want to build a wall, or, or we want to stop them, or we want to close the borders, or we want to build fences like you know in the Balkans. Um, it, it goes it goes much deeper than just just the one issue of strictly immigration. It does, and. I look back to Great Britain during the 50s when we opened up the borders to the Caribbean islands and Jamaica and so forth. And the amount of immigration that we have, and just do a quick Google and you'll, you'll see the, the black and white photographs of what was referred to as the banana boats. And they were literally filled with thousands of economic migrants that were given free passage into the United Kingdom to fill in the workspace that we have lost from the Second World War. The men didn't come home. And so we had a huge, massive hole in our workforce. And it had to be filled. And if it wasn't for that that time period in filling out, especially with the London, un, un, uh, London Transport and so forth, you start looking at who was employed there. Uh, Britain would never have survived, would never have got out of the recession that came after the Second World War. You also had a lot of people that were uh, that were native British that were leaving Britain and going to Australia. So there was this kind of a drain was, yeah. that way. And then you had the West the people in the West Indies. Of course, you didn't have this problem as far as like the part of legal illegal immigration because all those people were british subjects exactly and that 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 to me is something to be proud of it's something to be proud of that we have the commonwealth it's something to be proud of that we we had created an empire that was able to come together in a time of strife and created and rebuilt what we have today and i think with the brexit i'm hoping that's what will come out of that well, let's talk about that, John. I want to talk about the Brexit. I want to get this, get into this with you because, you know, obviously you are from the United Kingdom. Uh, I want to talk about you know, what is going to what is going to happen here. Do you think that the UK will leave the EU? Uh, what do you think would be the pluses and what do you think would be the minuses from doing that? And one thing that I can think of off the top of my head is that, you know, uh, UK has never been a part of the Eurozone. They've never been, they've never had the Euro. They've always had their own independent currency. So right there, that seems to be a plus for an exit. Well, I mean, it, 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 it this is, again, I'm going to go back, I'm going to use the Commonwealth as an example. Um, if, which is still around, I mean, it's, it's still there. It's still part of, yeah. we, are, we are the Commonwealth. Let's, let's put it that way. If we leave the, the Euro and the single market, and this is the important part. It's leaving the single market, which has got everybody worried. Um, with the, those who are pro 
for staying in. They're using this as the main argument that we will lose business, that we will no longer be able to trade freely within the Eurozone, that we will have unfair competition and it will not be a level playing field. And in some respects, they are correct. We won't. We will be at a disadvantage. I say, so bloody what? Turn the other cheek. We have the Commonwealth. Do have the ability. We have more than any other country in the world. We have the City of London. It is... It still is, it still maintains to be the central hub of economic um, exchange in the world. The Chinese have just used the city of London to dump the $17 trillion worth of bonds of debt, U.S. debt, that it has bought previously. It's got rid of it through the London Stock Exchange. It's it's recycling it. It's not recycling it through Shanghai. It's not recycling it through Wall Street. It's not recycling it through any of the Saudi Arabian or the Asian bursas, as they're referred to. No, it's chosen the London Stock Exchange because the city of London is the hub of everything commercial on this planet. It's still strong. It's still going strong. We, it, 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 it is the. There, there is not a case of it going strong. It is the hub that couldn't imagine the rest of the world's economies work without the city of London, to be honest with you. So we have that as our main advantage. Second of all, we have the Commonwealth. We have all of those countries behind us which we can do business with. Third of all, we have Asia, this huge marketplace in which we can do business. Second of all, or third, fourth of all, sorry, we have every single port in the world in which we can do business with. Why should we restrict ourselves to just doing business with the Eurozone? It is a diverse economy, yes. It does have diversification as far as its uh, populations are concerned and their needs and wants and desires. But we, as Great Britain, the little island, we have no industry left. We're not creating anything anymore. We're not building anything anymore. We're not at the forefront of innovation. All because of us in the single market. We've got rid of it all. Because we've become totally, totally dependent upon the Eurozone. With Euro funds, we've we've palmed out all of our industry to various different parts of of the Eurozone and other markets within Asia. It's about time we stopped recouped and got back to where we were and we can only do that by leaving the single market we need that that kick up the ass to be honest with you do you think it's going to pass oh god i'm 50 50 i i yeah. i i i want i want us to leave I'm very much pro for leaving. I'm not against people like David Cameron, our Prime Minister. I think he's doing a fabulous job. I've got no dispersions there. Um, as far as people that are voting or pressurizing us to stay, I think they have their reasons, and I respect them for that. But at the same time, I think we've, we've got to face facts. The world is changing. 
And as you've heard me say before, we have not evolved as a species yet to have a utopian society. We have not evolved as a species to live in harmony in a multicultural society. We are the most jealous, spiteful, oh, horrible species on the planet. We will do anything for anything. We will sell our grandmothers for a bowl of rice. Um, and what we've got to do really is just look in the mirror and say, right guys, we either stand up, fight, and make our country great again, and by doing so, leave the euro, or we can sit in our fat asses, let all the money go to Poland, and we can sit down and continue as we are. What do you think the effects on the EU would be? Devastating. Devastating. I think um, there's already ripples going across the Scandinavian countries. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting when you start looking at the ones who are the naysayers. Uh, it's all the liberal governments who are saying, oh, you know, no, if, if, if England leaves, then it's going to crumble, it's going to fall into the ocean. Um, and yet you've got all these conservative or far-right or Republican, as you would say, uh, all saying, yes, go for it. Do, do the job, you know, you'll come out of this a better country and so forth. Um, look at what Obama said. He came over and personally threatened us on camp. Yeah. yeah. You know, seriously, Obama, really? Really? Um, Britain is far stronger as by itself than it is part of the EU. And it's about time it woke up to that fact. I'm very much a royalist. I am a patriot. But I do believe that the time of the Commonwealth, the time of the Empire, has come again. And I think it's about time we unite as a Commonwealth. We unite trade-wise as a Commonwealth. We unite economically-wise as a Commonwealth. And we create a new trade agreement via the Commonwealth with the Eurozone, with Asia, with America, and with South America, and most importantly, with Russia. Russia yeah. is pivotal, again, to grow. It's about time we stop the sanctions over the Ukraine. Seriously, guys? Really? It's about time those were ripped up, torn up, thrown in the bin, and allow Russia to grow up. Let's get into Russia. Okay, go. Uh, that's, that's, a good, uh, that's a good place to, to get into it with. Uh, you know, I've been saying for a for a while now that one of the things that I actually do like about Trump is that he's actually willing to sit down and talk to Putin, which is more than I can say for Obama, the current administration. I mean, no one's willing to really just sit down and and talk to the guy, like you were saying with ISIS earlier. You know, we'll talk to him, see what he wants. Well, uh, Putin doesn't want anything. Putin wants Russia to be great economically. Yeah, I think he just wants influence in his area of the world, which is not anything unusual than what the United States wants, right? Exactly. Um, and, you know, you, when you look at Russia, geographically speaking, it literally has swathes of the planet. That, yeah. That, well, it's one-eighth of the planet's surface. That is so ripe for development in, in so many different ways. It's like Northern Africa. It's like the hidden hand that I, I refer to my own research, that, you know, Northern Africa is the new Europe. It will become the new Europe in the next 20, 20, 30 years. 
um, you will find that the, the migration that we have at this present moment will reverse. And it won't be just the indigenous population of Northern Africa returning, but you will find the Europeans will be leaving en masse to the new Europe, which is today Northern Africa, purely because Europe cannot sustain itself. It is a non-sustainable community. It has depleted its resources. It is no longer renewing its resources. It is completely and totally eroding itself from within, and it cannot sustain its current sustainability. Yeah. It's beyond help, um, and that is uh, that is so evident today. And you know, you look at China, you look at Russia, you look at Asia, you look at the emerging markets, and you can see that their diversification—they are forward-thinking. They're looking towards the future. They're looking how can we reserve our mineral uh, productions? How can we go out and look for different diversification? Look at what Russia and China have done in Northern Africa. They've literally signed up contracts for swathes of desert areas, both in Libya, Egypt, Sudan, all over Northern Africa, taking up huge amounts of mineral wealth and taking it, but they're not removing it yet. They've just signed contracts and they've just got the ground, but they're not taking it yet. They don't need it yet. It seems like we're in a new scramble for Africa, aren't we? And I know, I know you know what I'm referring to there, yeah. that there, there is a, uh, the Chinese have a, have a great influence, especially in like the su southern Africa, countries like Kenya and in in these areas, and um, and, and you've got the same thing going on in northern Africa. And I think that's part of the why Libya happened with the, the well, that why they kicked Gaddafi out to try to for us to try to control that area, the United States. To control that area. Always said Libya is the northern door. Uh, yep. it, it's the doorway through to the Mediterranean. It will become the hub. Um, but we are nowhere near that as long as we have ISIS. And ISIS is the creation of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia are the ones who know what's happening. They realize what we're up to. They realize that to stop this, they have to fuel this radical uh, terrorism that's sweeping the planet at this present moment. And it's not just confined to places like Libya, Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco, and the northern states. It's all the way right down. Sudan, Somalia, Eritrea, the Congo. You can go way over into the west coast. It's all the way over there. They, Saudi Arabia, are literally fueling it as we speak. And we're not doing a damn thing about it. And that's really infuriating. I don't know and I cannot understand for the life of me why we are not discussing this, why it's not being told, why are we still curtailing to the kingdom of Saud? Why yeah. are we? I, I, Look what's going on in, uh, in Yemen right now, just how horrendous that is and how Saudi Arabia has essentially been responsible with, for the, using those bombs, those, uh, those those bombs that are just that are considered illegal by the international treaties. They're using Yemen as a target practice, and it's uh, it, it's horrendous. And we're not doing a thing about it. And this is anything to do with oil, Adam. I mean, seriously, if you listen to the last uh, situation when we discussed OPEC and the oil reserves globally speaking, there is more oil sitting under Australia than Saudi Arabia could ever even possibly begin to imagine. 
to be able to pump so many barrels. That's a good point. You know, it, the, Saudi Arabia does not hold that anymore, but it does have something that it holds over us, the West. It has something, and to this day, I still cannot figure it out. Hmm. That that is uh, that's that's an interesting viewpoint there, John, about that. Uh, tur- turning back to Russia, though, I I really. I really think that that's a problem that needs to be solved. I mean, I'm I'm old enough to where I can remember kind of the the tail end of the of the Cold War, and I can remember being very uh, concerned at the age of like seven or eight that you know the United States and the Soviet Union were going to go to nuclear war anytime soon. I remember movies like The Day After, and I know for you there was a movie called Threads. That's it, yeah. That, uh, yeah, that, and I've seen that, and that's like rigid. The Day After, like. 10 times more worse, but you know, uh, so to sit here and, and, and play around with Russia, it just, it does not seem like a good idea to me. But Russia is never, I mean, this, when we can be serious, we're grown ups here. Russia yeah. is never going to start a preemptive strike against Europe or America. I agree with you, John. Never going to do it. I agree with you. Um, you know who worries me? America. Who? America. Yeah. That's, they're the ones, I, and I don't mean, I mean that with all utmost respect, but you are an aggressive nation. And it worries me that we've got someone who is like Trump, who's about, who could be president, whose finger is on that button. That's scary. Yeah. Because if he's able to come out in public with the rhetoric that he is, without being politically correct, without using his kind of so-called presidential prowess, but he can come out and say it and bugger the rest, what's he going to be like if somebody comes up against America, which he doesn't like, and they don't bend his way? What's he going to do? Sanction them? Throw his toys from the pram? Well, there there seemed to be this debate that somehow came out of nowhere about uh, well, when Obama went over to Hiroshima, mm. and uh, there was a, a huge outcry about that. I'm sure you remember that because I remember Scotty posting things about that. But there were people saying that you know, hey, hey, we we would do, we should do it. Trump will do it again if he has to. You know, being very flippant about using nuclear weapons is just not makes me very uncomfortable. It makes me nervous because we're. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, I mean, I, I'm a conventional war supporter, I suppose, one could say that. Um, nuclear weapons, it's all over in minutes. Yeah. Well, it's an hour. It's an hour and a half from, from launch. So, you know, you could have a possible re- reversion to reverting back to the Stone Age within an hour and a half, globally speaking. And that's scary. Oh yeah, that, that's, that's extremely frightening. Scarier than Ebola. Uh, that's scarier than any Zika virus. That's scarier than any ISIS terrorist shouting out Allah Akbar and blowing himself up and taking two hundred people with him. That is scarier. To be able to say that a country can be reverted back to Stone Age in less than an hour and a half of our own time 
it still can be because Russia still has a, a lot of nuclear weapons pointed at the United States. And, you know, it's, it's, one has to ask the question if, if at the moment it's okay and it's acceptable to slap sanctions on a country that has literally, totally, 100%, no one's talking about this one, Adam, reverted it back by some 20 to 30 years, economically speaking. Yeah. What's to stop them retaliating? And at the moment, you know what's stopping them? Putin. The man is clear-headed. He knows the end game. He knows that if he allows the old school in the Kremlin to come forward and allow them to do what they want to do, and that is press the red button and go and rally the, the tanks over into Poland and so forth, he knows that it's end game. That's it. It's over. It's finished. It's done with. Yeah, so you feel he's holding them back. I feel he, he's, he is actually holding it all back. And I think people, re I think governments realize that, you know, yeah. higher up the food chain, as we should say, uh, the stuff that we are not supposed to know, we don't need to know because we can sleep nice in our beds at night. They're the ones who know. And I'm grateful that they know. And I'm grateful for the jobs that they're doing. John, have you paid much attention to what's going on in Venezuela and with Brazil? Yes. I, I wonder if you can bring that. that. That really interests me. The way in which that is, because that's all part of the OPEC festival. Um, you know. Yeah, it has links to that, yeah. Well, it links. It, it, it's directly. Yeah. Directly, 100%. I know that. In Brazil, a lot of this economic, uh, the, the latest economic downturn was caused by the Petrobras scandal, which was the Brazilian owned oil company. Yeah, I mean, you, you, again, you look at Saudi Arabia. Oh, God. Why is no one doing anything? I, I, I really, you know, Gaddafi, he stood up to, to Saudi Arabia. He stood up to them and he told them, you know, point blank, I'm not going to play your game anymore. Two weeks later, he's dead. His, yeah. his country is in turmoil. It still is. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. And we look at Venezuela, this poor country that doesn't have the best oil in the world let's be honest it needs to be refined and in most cases it needs to be added it needs additives such as the american oil which is pumped down there by the millions of barrels per day and it's mixed with the venezuela oil to make a decent enough oil that it can export it um it's crippled the country is completely totally crippled and yet, when you look back at the 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 new president in his in his lovely jumpers and so forth, I love that jumpsuit he wears. <laughs> I mean, how, how can you have a president who runs around in a, in a jogging jogging uh, suit? It's just it's just hilarious. Um, but you feel sorry for him because when he took over, he had a he had a good country. It was actually doing well for itself. Along comes the oil crisis caused by the fracking boys. Let's be honest. Um, it kills the entire country. You know, one, you, you, you blame the government, okay, you should have done something in, in the meantime other than just drilling for oil. You should have built an infrastructure, you should have built industry, you should have brought employment up, you should have diversified yourself as an as a economic country um, instead of just relying upon oil. But, you know, yes. you can't point fingers after the, the horses bolted the gate, so to speak. So, it, it's interesting to see how things will pan out. Uh, again, the, the OPEC question mark and festival, as I call it, is 
it, th there's a lot going on there that you really, really do have to do your research. You have to look at every individual country that is a member of OPEC. Look at the barrels of oil that they are producing per day, dictated, mind you, by Saudi Arabia. Look at how much it's costing them to produce just one barrel and how much they're selling that barrel for compared to what the fracking boys are doing. There's also this element too, John, that uh, in the early 2000s, uh, there was a huge turn away. Uh, I think the United States lost a lot of influence in Latin America. I mean, you had several left-leaning, led by Chavez in Venezuela, you had several left-leaning governments that took over in a lot of those countries. And now I think what we're seeing is a possibility that the United States is kind of reviving its influence well, you, in yeah. in cases like Venezuela and also what's going on in Brazil right now. But you're, you're, you're looking at these countries because they, they, they tend to live also because they had money from the Middle East. You yeah. The relationships that they were having with the Middle East, it was their back door. America had closed off its door to them diplomatically, but also the war machine. They wanted guns, they wanted ammunition, they wanted self-defense. They wanted to increase their armies through their wealth, which was created through oil. And, but nobody would sell to them. They weren't allowed to sell to them because of what America was saying. So they used the Middle East as a conduit to Asia, China, but also back into America. It was the back door. America still sold its arms to countries like Brazil, like Venezuela, like Nicaragua, and so forth, through... The Middle East. Yeah. Through probably countries like not just Saudi Arabia, but also Israel, too. And, well, Libya was one of the biggest conduits. Yeah. You, you've got to look at the, the the game that Libya played. It was kind of kind of very interesting. What's your thought on this Egypt air flight, John? Oh, I think... No idea. I'm being honest on that one. I know, I know the Egyptian mentality... And I don't say uh, people in Egypt there because I don't, but I know the Egyptian men. Um, they will never, they will never put their hand in the air and say it's, it's, it's the machine that's at fault. They would rather say it was a terrorist rather than say that their plane was at fault. As, as stupid as it sounds. But that's how they are. That's the mentality. Um, I don't think it was a terrorist action. No one's come forward. You would have thought if, if it was a down plane by ISIS or by the Muslim Brotherhood, they would have come forward within 24 hours immediately. They would have been, even before it crashed into the ocean, they would have come out and said, we're about to down one of your planes. Um, they haven't. It wasn't. It was an accident. Um, or incompetence. Incompetence. Yeah. It was probably an Egyptian having a shisha in the, in the, in the toilet or something. You know. <laughs> Christ knows what happened, but you know, the alarms went off saying there was smoke in the lavatory. If you've ever been on an Egypt airplane, it's coming down into Cairo after it's flown in from Europe. You can always smell smoke. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, but it happens. They do. They go into the lavatory and they have their cigarette before they land. I've I've smelt it. If you've been on an Egypt there, you know it happens. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Is Egypt getting better politically? Yes. I, I'm really, you know what, I, what's, uh, what's the president, Al Shishi? Is that his name? El Sisi. He's fantastic. Yeah. He is doing an amazing job. And I will not allow anyone to say to me that he is not. He is, his back is up against the wall. He's got 110 million mouths to feed. 
He's not producing enough corn. He hasn't got the economy. He doesn't have the infrastructure. He doesn't have the industry. He doesn't have the commerce. He has no tourism. And yet, Egypt is still there. Egypt is a, is a progressive country. I, and I refer to this, I've been saying it since 2011 when I was there during the revolutions. Egypt is going through birthing pains. And once it comes through that, you will see the Egypt that was great prior to 1952. Remember, Egypt prior to 1952 was one of the most prosperous countries in the world. It was lending money to the British Empire. It actually gave, not gave, but lent money to Britain in 1952 prior to the first revolution in June. Uh, really? You know, so... Fingers crossed on that one. That's another one where Russia stepped in, unfortunately, and, uh, yeah, uh, created merry hell and then walked away and left the mess to just what it is today, unfortunately. John, I had to, I had to ask you this. I know we're probably running a little low on time for you, but, uh, I want to ask you about, I've heard you make the statement that our relation, or the United States relationship with Israel clouds our judgment. It's an interesting one. I, I think, you know, years ago, and I don't mind saying this, years ago, I questioned the validity of Israel as a state. Not as a country, because it's not a country, it's a state. Yeah. Um, I questioned it. I questioned the, the sentiment out there against anti-Semitism. And I will be honest, I did. I was questioning it. I, it came to me that over the past years, I've had, and having lived in Egypt, I suppose, has opened my eyes to it. Israel is a necessity. It creates a harmony in the Middle East that otherwise would be third world, third world war. It would. Um, it would, really? would implode. And I think Israel, it's, it's like, the, it's like a pressure cooker. It's that valve that allows the steam to vent. Gotcha. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Too much. And I think it also allows other countries to utilize Israel to be active, both diplomatically and under the table, so to speak, in the Middle East via Israel. I think Israel is one of those countries that is, and I don't mind saying this, and people are probably going to scream at me for saying this, I think it's a very understated country. It, it's not publicized as well as it should be. I don't know if you've ever seen or ever been there, Adam, but, you know, when you step into Israel, it's not the Middle East. And, no, and I say, no, I've never been there, but I, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. The, the Middle East is, is in some places, it's, it's very, how do you say this politely? Horrendous. <laughs> um, but you, like the armpit of the world? Kind of, I suppose you could use that terminology if you wanted to. Um, but I wouldn't. Um, but you know, you step into Israel and it's not, it's like stepping into the streets of, say, London. Uh, anywhere you choose one of the states in America, it, it, Europe, it, it's developed. It has sanity. 
it has logic and it is that pressure cooker it's the valve but i think we are clouded by it yeah well i think especially with our uh get you were making the point especially with uh our relationship with Orion. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Iranian deal. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's really going to come back and kick us in the ass. Hmm. I think so. Interesting. Well, John, it's been very enlightening. I know that you've got to get going, but uh, I, really, I, think I, I think I could talk to you about this all day. But <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Adam. Well, I mean, John, you have such a I, – I, I like your I like your perspective. Because you are, as I've said before, you are a non-American that has lived in the Middle East. And I think your perspective is different from most people that have not lived in that part of the world. And and, and we talked about clouding perspectives. I, I think as an American, you know, I, you, you tend to view things in a certain way. And you tend to view things as America, kind of first America-centric. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think getting that extra... Another viewpoint is good as well. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd love to come on anytime, Adam. Anytime you want me, I'm, I'm available. I'll come on. Uh, absolutely, John. Well, I'm going to close this part out. Stay on the line with me. And guys, I will be back to close out on Conspiranormal. Okay, guys. Um, cool little interview there with uh, Stephen Ogden and John Ward. Really enjoy talking to those two guys. John has such a interesting perspective i think on what's going on in the world and we can kind of see how things are kind of lining up differently uh align different alignments are being made so that's very very interesting uh as i said before i don't have rob at the moment he has uh, just gotten finished with bonnaroo and then he has gone on to uh the firefly festival up in delaware and so the next show will be in uh, less than two weeks. We're going to have on Red Pill Junkie. And we're going to talk about uh, Carlos Castaneda and Terrence McKenna and all kinds of interesting things about hallucinogens. Maybe get his point on what's going on, his viewpoint on what's going on in Mexico, because he is uh, based out of Mexico City. So I think that that will be uh, a fairly interesting show. Uh, followed by that, I've got a couple of, uh, guests that's coming on. Uh, one is going to be, uh, my friend Heather Walker Cecil. We're going to talk about tarot and maybe get into a little bit of, a little bit of politics. And then after that, uh, should have Johnny McMahon from the Iron Show, otherwise known as Long Tormund Johnny. Uh, we're just going to talk about whatever we want to talk about. So that's, that's coming up. And in the middle of July, I have a special guest, someone in the UFO field that is very well respected that I'm really looking forward to talking to. Uh, you may have heard we put on the Paradise Symposium part two that was posted a couple of days ago. And that is going to be available on the podcast stream for anyone that's listening to this show on dark matter network or on D program network, you probably will not hear that show because I really wanted to get that show out. And those guys just pick up from my RSS feed. So whatever the latest show is, that's what you're going to hear. So if you want to hear the paradise symposium part two show, and you listen to those networks, please go to conspiranormal. That's conspiranormal with an I in the middle dot 
You can download it from there. You can look up Conspiranormal on your iTunes and, you know, if you want to stream it from the computer as well. So that's, that's there too. Paradise Symposium interviews part three that we did. I believe that's with Tim Dennis, Rocky Stucci, Rita Louise, and if, and also Scotty and John, uh, the, uh, coordinators of paradigm symposium where else i'm going to have that up next week and then after that will be the red pill junkie show so guys i want to thank you guys for listening in i know this is a little shorter show than usual but it's not you know a two and a half hour show like we put out before but next week we will be back and i want to talk about next week a little bit about some of the things that are going on with this orlando stuff i mentioned slightly about this one, this girl named Christina Grimmie that was killed about two days before the Orlando shooting. And I want to kind of unpack this and talk about this somewhat, uh, whether these things may have something to do with each other or whether they don't have anything to do with each other. But it's very strange, and I made this point in the interview with Scotty, I'm sorry, with uh, John and with Stephen, that it's very strange that this happened in the same city at almost virtually the same time. And I'm going to kind of leave that there for a couple of weeks from now when I can kind of get some clips and some ideas, but guys, I want to thank you very much for listening and we will be back in a couple of weeks, but uh, you will hear the paradigm symposium three interviews. And again, if you want to hear paradigm symposium two, that is on our feed. You can check it out there. Thanks, you guys, for listening, and we'll be back next time on Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.